0: DiscerningHearts.com presents St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is a popular author working in the area of church history, specializing in patristics, the study of the early church fathers. He is the executive vice president and trustee of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, a Roman Catholic research center based in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a contributing editor of Angelus Magazine and a general editor of the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Press. He is the author or editor of more than 50 books, including St. Joseph and His World, the book on which this series is based. He has hosted 11 television series on the Eternal Word Television Network and is a frequent guest commentator on Catholic Radio. St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike. Thanks for having me back, Chris. I can't wait to get into Chapter 4 of St. Joseph and His World. I just have to remind the listener that as we're talking about the book, we are only just touching the tip of an iceberg compared to what you can find within the pages of this wonderful book. I just love reading your writing, Mike. Well, thank you so much, Chris. You're very kind. I'm not really. My kids won't tell you that. (laughs) But I'm serious. I mean, I'm learning so much about, uh, again, St. Joseph, but also his world. The title is so apropos. They're members of our family in a very real way. Uh, So many of us are running out and doing Ancestry.com or 23andMe or whatever to try to find our roots. And yet here is a story that we all are a part of. I, I wonder if we realize that. These are our ancestors. Indeed. Indeed, they
1: are. Our Lord himself articulated his relationship with his disciples in family terms. He treated his disciples like family. You know, he established the Eucharist to be a family meal. He taught us to pray to God as our father. We're supposed to consider Jesus as our brother, as the new Adam, you know, the new beginning of a new humanity, a renewed humanity, and a renewed Israel. These are the basic terms of Christianity. We live in a certain household, and that household is led by Jesus and by Mary and Joseph. He's our elder brother, and they are, in a sense, our parents. Mary is presented in the book of Revelation as the crowned queen of heaven who's giving birth to other offspring, and she didn't have other offspring in marriage, so we know that we are those other offspring. We are the offspring of the church whom she embodies. This is our family. We find our roots when we contemplate the holy family and find our place in their home.
0: We've taken a look at a parallel experience in that of Herod the Great and who at this point when Mary and Joseph are betrothed he's in his 60s and he's literally rotting away because of the choices he's made and so many other things that are happening within him inside, this is the man who was proclaiming to so many that he was the Messiah. Because look at all the things I gave you, look at the material wealth I provided the nation, look at all the things I've given you back your money from taxes, I've done all so many, so many things. And, and yet, when in reality, the true Messiah is being born into the world. I mean, it's an incredible parallel.
1: Uh, it is. It is. There's so much beauty going on. You know, Herod's domestic life was a mess. He knew true love once, and he, he actually had that woman killed, his wife, Mariamne. It's a terrible story. It's horrific. And yet, when we look to the quiet story of the marriage of Mary and Joseph, it's a striking contrast. It's something I said is quiet. It's pure. And it likely was something that that was destined from very early in their lives. Again, Nazareth was a very small village, probably about 100 people in that time. And your spouse would have been picked out for you at a very early age. And you would have grown up knowing that this particular person was destined to be your husband or your wife that that's just what you grew up with because this person had been chosen for you at a certain point, they would have taken that choice to a more formal level and they would have confirmed it in a betrothal. And then after that, they would have made the solemn profession in marriage. And then it it would have been that permanent commitment. There was a certain order to it. And it seems that in the case of Mary and Joseph, uh, they observed it meticulously.
0: It's of course, the pivotal point in all salvation history when the angel Gabriel will come to Mary and ask for her assent, her yes, to this incredible breaking through of God into the world. She keeps the, this announcement silent, but she makes the very bold statement, I need to go now. And I, we, we hear it, she goes in haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now, if Joseph and Mary are betrothed, and this is kind of a, a difficult journey, isn't it? I mean, there's a possibility that maybe Saint Joseph might have attended with her, though we don't read that in the scriptures.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's. It's a possibility, uh, indeed, a probability. You know, somebody would have had to go with her. It would have been unusual, to say the least, for a woman to make that kind of journey by herself. She would have traveled with others who were going in that direction, others from the village who were going in that direction for another purpose. And it's quite likely she would make the journey with someone to whom she was betrothed. They would have had to make it in more than one day, probably, especially for a a pregnant woman, she would have needed to rest. They would have stopped along the way and they would have found refuge, quite likely, in the homes of people they knew or in the synagogues in the towns and villages along the way, because the synagogues ordinarily provided hospitality to travelers.
0: It's not clear, then, if Joseph would have been aware of the pregnancy. This would have been very early on, too, especially when when it's their first pregnancy. I can speak from experience. More often than not, in that first pregnancy, those first few months, you're not showing And if she's not saying anything, there's a real possibility that he would never have been aware that she was pregnant. And that encounter with Elizabeth doesn't necessarily say they had many people around them. That could have been a very private encounter for both of them.
1: We don't know when St. Joseph came to his awareness. We don't know how long his agony was. Uh, the, The story is told with such economy in the gospels especially the gospel of Matthew which is told from saint joseph's perspective so we just know that he was troubled we can imagine that he was again in an agony he, you know you think about it this is something that he had been looking forward to throughout his childhood that he would have a normal married life with this girl he knew from or from his earliest days and they would just continue to know each other's companionship. And suddenly, knowing she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, he could not see himself in that picture because he was just humble Joseph. He was just no account Joseph. There was nothing special about him in his own estimation. How could he have been married to a woman who had received such a gift? It just didn't make sense for him. Again, we don't know how long that agony lasted We don't know how many days and nights he turned over the thoughts in his head, trying to find a solution and not liking any of the solutions that presented themselves to him. We do know he was deeply troubled, and eventually he resolved, we're told, to uh, divorce her quietly because he just could not see himself in that picture, the picture of the household of, of the Messiah.
0: Yeah, I I like how you separated out the different theories for us in in St. Joseph and his world. Because, as you said, first there's the suspicion theory, that he's devastated, but his love for her remains so great that he cannot bear the thought of her facing public shame. So he just decides to divorce her quietly. And then there's the perplexity theory and the reverence theory. Can you talk to us about those,
1: Mike? Well, as I point out in the book, there are three ways that people deal with these passages, because we're not told much about the inner workings of Joseph's mind. He was so quiet, he didn't talk about them. Uh, We don't have any of his words on record, and yet we know that he encountered this as a difficulty, as an obstacle, as a game changer. And so I talk about the three different ways that Christians have interpreted these passages in St. Matthew since early in Christian history, and and the first is the suspicion theory. In this reading of the gospel, Joseph suspects that Mary has been unfaithful, and so he's devastated, but his love for her remains so great that he can't bear the thought of her facing public shame, or worse, the, the death penalty, since adultery was a capital crime. So he decides to divorce her quietly, as the law permitted But an angel deters him from that course of action. Okay, so that's the first theory, the suspicion theory. The second one is perplexity. And according to to this theory, Joseph just cannot understand what has happened. He goes over it and over it, and he, he doesn't believe that Mary could be unfaithful. He knows her to be a woman of virtue, but her pregnancy is undeniable, and he knows where babies come from, and he knows that her pregnancy would be subject to legal penalties, no matter how it came about. Mm -hmm. So he protects Mary. He respects the law. He protects Mary. So the angel in this reading gives Joseph information that he lacks and helps him to make a plan for going forward. Now, the third theory is the reverence theory. And this theory presents Joseph as a man who's just overwhelmed by awe when he learns of Mary's miraculous conception. He knows of God's singular intervention. And the text itself tells us she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. So the text itself says that St. Joseph knew her to be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he feels unworthy to be involved. Who wouldn't? And so he decides he'll cooperate just long enough to protect Mary's secret and then make his quiet exit. So in this reading, Joseph's first impulse is like St. Peter's when he said to Jesus, Lord, depart from me. You know, depart from me, St. Peter says, for I am a sinful man. St. Joseph just felt he was unworthy of the moment. So he's reverent and he's humbled by what's going on. You know, and I suspect that, you know, what was really going on was some combination of perplexity and reverence, that this is something he could not process But he knew it was a power greater than himself. I don't believe he ever doubted her virtue. And I think that's pretty clear from the text. I think Mary expected to be celibate for her life, that she would not bear children. And that's evident in what she says to the angel. Otherwise, her response to the angel wouldn't make any sense. She says, How can this be? For I do not know man. Well, Mary knew where babies came from, she was betrothed and she was going to be married, and that's usually what happens before a baby comes. So unless she had already made the decision to live continence in marriage, and Joseph would have been part of that decision, she could not have said the things she said to the angel. I do think that they had made that decision prior to their betrothal. They were unanimous on this. They were one heart and mind. And God's decision, God's call, Still upset their world so much because it was greater than they had expected. And it was a shock to them, and they didn't know quite how to deal with it.
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly on this. And this is just my own, for what it's worth, what I think that hope, the perplexity, and the reverence, because we have to bear in mind that Joseph is in the presence of a woman, this girl, who must be extraordinary. I mean, just in her holiness. I mean, you and I have had, I'm sure, encounters with people and young men, young women who are just, they're so special. And then you know they're holy. It, it kind of takes your breath away how special they are. Can you even? So to think that the one who is grace filled, there must be something about Mary. I mean, that is just precious and wonderful and her countenance and everything else. So for Joseph, they have this friendship, this relationship on top of probably a very tender love and care for each other. He's just trying to understand it all because this is an extraordinary event. I think we have to kind of bear that in mind sometimes, don't we?
1: Uh, We do. We do. It's so hard for us to imagine these circumstances because our culture is so different Mm. from the culture of the first century B.C., in this faraway place, our religious culture is even so different from what theirs was. So we really have to make a heroic act of imagination, of imaginative entry into that world. In essence, that's what I'm trying to make possible with this book. I try not to get into much speculation. I do try to give the historical background, the details of how the religion and the the culture were experienced in that time, so that people can make conclusions of their own so that they can enter the scene with a bit more vividness. Even if they can't afford to make the trip to the Holy Land, they can make it there imaginatively because of what they know from the works of Josephus, from the Roman historians, from the New Testament itself, and from the findings of archaeology.
0: We'll return to St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher? tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts.
2: From a letter from St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 6. Be strengthened in the Lord in the might of his power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness on high. Therefore, take up the armor of God, so that you may be able to resist the evil every day, and stand in all things perfect. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of justice, and having your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace, in all things taking up the shield of faith, with which you may be able to quench all fiery darts of the most wicked one. And take for yourself the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. With all prayer and supplication, pray at all times in the Spirit, and be vigilant in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is a nonprofit research and educational institute that promotes life-transforming scripture study in the Catholic tradition. Founded by Dr. Scott Hahn and with current Vice President Mike Aquilina, the center serves clergy and laity, students and scholars with research and study tools from books and publications to multimedia and online programming. The St. Paul Center welcomes you to their free online studies. Whether you're studying scripture for the first time, Looking to take your studies to a higher level, or whether you're ready for advanced training, you've come to the right place. In addition, for each track of study, they recommend books that will enhance your study in prayer and build your library of essential works in Biblical theology and spirituality. The studies are free. Just visit SalvationHistory.com to view a complete library.
0: We now return to St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina. I think it's at least, gosh, maybe four or five doctors of the church (laughs) and their Mm -hmm. pious intent of trying to break this open for people from Justin Martyr to Augustine of Hippo to St. Jerome, Thomas Aquinas, Bernard of Clairvaux. I mean, my goodness, these are some of the most brilliant and yet very holy men who have also trying to work this through.
1: I think it would be rash for us to make conclusions and try to impose them on others. We should recognize that the church has not ruled on an authoritative interpretation of these passages, but this is where some of the doctors have tended. We can certainly look among the conclusions of the doctors of the church and see which one is most persuasive to us.
0: This brings up a very delicate point that I wanted to bring up, Mike, and I say this in all reverence and all care, because there are those who have, and I know I did early in my faith life when I was getting very excited, I wanted to know so much. So I explored those beautiful, wonderful, mystical writings of those who received from their experience what appeared to be the life of a particular saint, whether it's the life of the Blessed Virgin or the life of Jesus, and there have been several throughout history that have brought these holy, pious, intention of heart, I'm sure, writings, because from the experience of their meditation and gifts, I'm sure, from the Holy Spirit, and several of them, when I think of St. Anne Catherine Emmerich and St. Bridget of Sweden and several others, even in the course of their canonization, the church has said they were raised up for their piety and their heroic virtue. Pope Benedict Sixteenth and some of his reflections have said that's a good thing, but their writings are not necessarily, even though they're saints, it's not necessarily canonical. It might help us in our faith life, but it doesn't mean it actually happened that way. Do you see where I'm trying to go with this? So if there are people out there that are listening, but wait a minute, I read that this is the way that it was. Yeah, you know, I
1: mean, their accounts don't. Their accounts don't have the same qualities as those of sacred scriptures. Uh, you know, we believe the scriptures to be infallible, inspired, and inerrant, and these don't necessarily apply to the writings of the saints. They could have made many mistakes in in interpretation of their own visions. There may have been uh, things that they saw that they didn't quite understand. And they were mistaken in in the way they relayed these things. There may have been scribal errors also in the way these were set down. In the case of some of these mystics, their visions were set down through dictation to another person. So you have another layer of interpretation going on there. Uh, And I I don't mean to minimize their experience, and I don't mean to, to minimize the importance that these accounts have had in the development of so many souls. They're very valuable. And they help us to pray. And they help, again, to give us that imaginative entry into the lives of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. But again, they're not inspired. They're not inerrant. And we shouldn't treat them as so. And we shouldn't make it a test of faith upon others if they just don't find them persuasive or they don't find them that compelling or attractive. I think that the enjoyment of these things is sometimes a particular grace that's given to some people that's withheld from others. We have different gifts, we have different graces, and we shouldn't try to impose our particular gifts on other people.
0: I think that's well said. And that's what I appreciate so much about your book, St. Joseph and His World, Mike, because it really lays down a real solid groundwork. And at least... I'll witness to it just in my own personal experience. There was a piece of heart. I'm reading, I'm going, yeah, that makes sense to me. Because you were so careful to bring many different viewpoints, but the one that makes the most sense and seems so right. And even that you offer that like on a plate to the reader. And so I just want to thank you for that, how you handle that particular area.
1: Well, I thank you, Chris. Uh, You know, there are a lot of difficult questions about the life of St. Joseph because the evidence we're given in sacred scripture is so sparse, is so economical. We don't have a lot of words describing him, and we have no words from him. We have no direct testimony from him except his deeds that are recorded faithfully in the sacred scripture. So there's a little bit to go on. I tried to confine myself to that, but also to give it historical context from what we know about the religious and professional culture in Joseph's life, in his times, and in his place.
0: We can't close this out, particularly in this chapter, without mentioning at least the great census that will occur. Is that an unusual thing that happens? I mean, it was that very extraordinary?
1: Uh, No, that, that was a common occurrence. And it was common throughout the world. You know, we have many records of ancient censuses. We have them from the Roman world, the Greek world, the Persian world, the Chinese world, the Indian world. We have the records of censuses from antiquity. So yes, this was something pretty common. Why? Because censuses were necessary for the sake of taxation. (laughs) <laughs> and and governments want to tax people. They need to pay for the things they want to do. They want to build grand palaces. They want to to staff an army. So these are very important activities of their government. They need to get money to do it. So yeah, this was... A particular census of which there is some historical record. It's likely uh, scholars tell us that a census was carried out in two stages. The first one, uh, in the first stage, you would go, you would register your property. You would tell the authorities your name and what property you held, and that's likely the stage that we're talking about here. With the trip to Bethlehem at the time of Mary's due date, the collection of the taxes would have come later perhaps several years later. That would have been the more painful moment. And we do know that for this particular census, there were uprisings at that time. There were rebellions at that time, because people had uh, objections to the level of taxation, but also because faithful Jews had objections to the way the taxes would be used. The taxes would be used for pagan images, pagan temples, for the glory of Rome, which was a, a Gentile power, a pagan power, and unclean people. So you had serious objections to it. I think the response of the Holy Family is edifying because we do find them complying with the census. Even though there may have been these reservations, they find themselves complying with legitimate government in this moment.
0: Yeah, it's quite a journey, again, for St. Joseph to have to care for a woman in the ninth month of her pregnancy, walking that distance or riding on a donkey, no less. That must have taken a lot of work for him. (laughs) I mean, that's a
1: lot of work. And if anyone had the right to complain about taxation, he did, (laughs) right, at that moment. But, you know, he probably recognized that taxation is... You know, the price you pay for clean water, for example, for the building of aqueducts, for all of these things that were definite improvements in the quality of life in Judea in his time. So he was willing to go along with the order that came from the ruling authorities, and he was willing to go and register to pay his taxes.
0: Fascinating. Well, I look forward to our next episode, Mike, because the story just gets better and better as it should. It's a a culminating moment. God breaks into our our timeline. It's absolutely phenomenal.
1: That's right. God wrote this drama and he wrote it through the events themselves. So this is something real. This is something historical. This is life.
0: Well, if God is writing the drama here, I'm so glad you're the one that's helping us to understand what he said. There's no better, no better person. Thank you so much, Mike.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: You've been listening to St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina. To learn more about this subject, you can purchase the book St. Joseph and His World, on which this series is based. Visit scepterpublishers.org, the website for the publisher, Scepter Publishers. Or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. Or you can find it in the Discerning Hearts free app. This has been a production of the Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will please pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our effort. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com. And join us next time for... St. Joseph and His Girl with Mike Aquilina.